You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. In case you're wondering what he was saying, he was saying, take it easy on me, because if you're not, I might run away. So... (laughs) pastor was saying that he, he's appreciative of the prayers that you guys are giving him. Uh, he texted me earlier today and he said that uh, he just wanted to let you all know that he made it to Tennessee all right with him and his family. Um, just to give you guys a quick update, he said that the preaching times, um, he's actually preaching right now. Uh, he started preaching at 7 and then tomorrow he preaches at 7 and on Friday he preaches on 7 and just be in prayer for him as he returns back. So just trying to give you guys a quick update before I get into the message. Okay, um, for our message, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, verse 8, if you all please stand in honor of the reading of the, God's text. So, Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more, in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Now, for time's sake, we're going to skip down to verse 20 and read verse 20 and verse 21. And it says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Whether it be by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Thank you. You all may be seated. Now tonight, we'll look at several verses in Philippians, but the verse I mainly want to focus on tonight is Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, and especially the phrase, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. Now, I didn't bring one with me tonight, but a magnifying glass is a very interesting object, and it can do a number of interesting things. First, you can use it to light leaves on fire. Second, you can use it to light small sticks on fire. And third, you can even use it to light ants on fire. I mean, the possibilities are just endless. Now, as a little boy who loved fire, that's about all I used a magnifying glass for. But if you're a normal human being, I guess you could look at, use it to look at small objects. While a magnifying glass can be used in a number of ways, it's one of limited number of items that's sole purpose is to be looked through and not at. Though this sounds rather obvious at first, if I was to bring a magnifying glass up here and just hold it, and we were just to spend the rest of the 15 minutes that I have just looking at this magnifying glass, it would first be the most boring message you've ever heard, and second, you'd be defeating the whole purpose of a magnifying glass, which is to make another object larger or to bring out the details in an object that you're looking at. Because the sole purpose of a magnifying glass is to help its user see another object better, it doesn't actually matter what the magnifying glass itself looks like, just as long as it gets the job done. I could bring out an expensive, gold-plated, diamond-studded magnifying glass and set it next to a kid's princess magnifying glass, and they would be equally useful. One may be prettier, and it may attract the user's eyes more, but that's not the point of the magnifying glass. Its one job is to bring something else into focus. It could be big, little, fancy, or plain. Its appearance really doesn't matter, just as long as it's effective. While most of us think of a magnifying glass as simply an object made by man and used by man, the fact is that every person in this room tonight acts as a magnifying glass and enlarges something. 
Of course, when people view you, they don't look through you. But when they see you, they see what you value. They see what you give the most time to. They see what you talk the most about. They see what makes you upset. They see what makes you happy. They see what makes you the most passionate. Every action that you carry out or word that you speak magnifies something. People can easily determine what you hold dear or what you value based upon what you magnify, what you emphasize, give detail to, or enlarge in importance. Most people, for honest, magnify themselves. It's very easy to do. We naturally love ourselves. It isn't something that needs to be taught either. I guarantee you that if you were to spend a Sunday in primary church just to observe the children, you would see very quickly that our natural tendency as human beings is to focus on ourselves. Kids who don't normally care about singing at all are suddenly transformed into singing machines whenever candy is placed on the line. Not only that, they will try to grab the attention of the closest worker in order to show them how great they're singing. On some occasions, they'll even push other kids out of the way just to be able to show you how good they're being, which is completely out of my mind. How, why would you do that? But as we grow up, our mature, as we grow up and mature, our love for self doesn't necessarily show itself in the form of shoving other people out of the way for candy. But if we're being honest, we would all agree that we, we love it when other people take notice of us. It feels good when your boss comes in and tells you that you've done a great job. And we like it when people come up and tell you that you look sharp. We like it when people tell you you've done a good job, way to go. These things aren't bad, but they often can become the primary thing that we crave. Self isn't the only thing that we magnify, though. Some choose to magnify their work, hobby, or even a sports team. Now, coming from a college town in Stillwater, I can honestly say that I have personally met people who magnify the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Their mood for the week is often uh, impacted on how the Cowboys played football that Saturday. Unfortunately for them, the Cowboys are almost always overhyped, so they're usually depressed. But many people magnify their sports team. Uh, but it's not just self or sports that we often magnify. It's possible to even magnify another person. A good example of this is the person who covers their car in presidential campaign stickers. It's amazing to me that they can even see where they're going because their back windshield is completely covered with presidents of times past. But uh, ultimately, they're attempting to lift up somebody who's running for president. They focus all their energy on telling you how great this next president will be and how terrible life would be if anyone else got elected. And while there are a plethora of things that we as humans can focus and magnify, we as Christians should magnify only one thing. That, sh that one thing should be Christ. When people look at us, they should see the Lord. This was Paul's driving motivation in life. It's what he craved for himself and passionately longed for in the lives of the believers he loved. He wanted Jesus to be bigger for everyone to see. We can see this desire and hear the verses that we just read. In verse 9, if you look at it, Paul tells the Philippians that he is praying for their love to abound. Now, all throughout uh, Scripture, love is a hallmark of Christianity. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Because demonstrating love for, and care for others, their good, their comfort, and their eternal well-being was how Christ lived, when we emulate that, it points to or magnifies that source of love. In verse 10, Paul exhorts the Philippians to be sincere and without offense. Now, I looked up the word offense uh, in the dictionary because I wanted to make sure I understood what it meant and did not look like, an, like a retard in front of you guys. So, and I actually found that this word comes from the Greek word proskopto. This means to strike against or to stumble. So in order to magnify the Lord, Paul is telling the people at Philippi to live a life that is without stumbling or that causes others to stumble. So when others look at you, they should see someone who not only abstains from sin, 
but one that lives a life that encourages others to do the same as well. Verse 11 shows that Paul longed for the believers to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Paul makes clear that this fruit, things like love, peace, gentleness, joy, long-suffering, and the list goes on and on, comes from God. But why would Jesus want to give us this fruit? Well, Paul tells us that being filled with something like joy is for the glory and praise of God. Or to put it another way, it's, it's another way to magnify God. Although we didn't read it later on in Philippians in chapter 3, verses 3 through 8, Paul warns the Philippians about having confidence in their own flesh, who they were and what they had done. Now, Paul was uniquely qualified to give this advice because if anyone could brag about themselves, it was him. He even listed out several things that he could use to bring attention to himself. He was first blameless according to the Hebrew law. He was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. He was even a Pharisee. But he says that he counts all of his accomplishments as worthless in his pursuit to magnify Christ. Now, as I mentioned earlier, if we're all being honest, we all want attention. The evidence is everywhere, and it's not limited to age or gender. We've all seen the kid at Walmart who, when something doesn't go his way, he screams and shouts to let everyone in the store know that he's not happy about what just happened to him. Why? Well, it's because he thinks it's all about him, his wants and his desires. We've even seen the football player who sacks the quarterback and then jumps up and does a dance. Why in the world would anybody do that? Well, because he wants everyone in the stadium to know that he's amazing. But it's not just the kid in Walmart or the player on the field that have this it's all about me mentality about them. If we're being honest with ourselves, we can all agree that we all struggle with the desire to be noticed, praised, catered to, and glorified. And though early Christians struggled with this, it's possibly even uh, harder today when you consider the prevalence of social media, such as Facebook, Instagram, or any other blog that you may use. These things exist almost solely for the purpose of causing others to look at you. So we know as Christians that we're supposed to magnify Christ. But then the question arises, arises, how do we do that? Well, a good place to start would be, look at, to, would be to look at what Christ has done and then to emulate that. First, I think it's rather obvious, but Christ had to walk with God. The Bible records that Jesus knew the scriptures and therefore God's will inside and out. During his temptation by Satan, Christ's obedience to God was unshakable because he knew the final destination. He lived a life that was sincere and without offense. He didn't succumb to the pressures of Satan because he was grounded in the truth of God's word. Also, he conducted his life in such a way that he encouraged others to do the same as well. Um, his mastery of the scriptures allowed him to stay on track, even when faced with grace opposition. This, in turn, magnified God. We also see that Jesus spent countless hours in prayer, communicating with his Father. It's much easier to emulate or copy someone if you're constantly with them. Um, if you're constantly with somebody, you will, you will eventually pick up on the little things that they do. I know for me, the people I spend the most time with directly impact how I think and then in turn how I act. The same is true with our walk with God. The more time you spend around God, reading your Bible and praying, the more likely you will begin to mirror God's character. Additionally, Jesus didn't view his walk with God as just another chore or task that he crammed into his busy schedule. He viewed it as a joy and counted it as a necessity for his Christian life. He would often separate himself from the multitudes or even his disciples to spend quality time with God and his, with his Heavenly Father. So first, first thing we need to do is to have a walk with God, a genuine walk with God. Second, we need to look at what Christ did while on earth. In Luke 19.10, Jesus said of himself that the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
Jesus' primary mission was to save those that did not know him as Savior. So the next step in being Christ-like is to be involved in the ministry that Jesus himself was involved with, primarily the outreach of lost souls. If you will notice, Jesus said that he had come to seek and to save. Jesus did not expect those who needed him the most to come to him out of their own will. Jesus knew that they would not seek him without him being actively interested in their eternal well-being. Therefore, Jesus chose to actively seek them out and to help them wherever they went. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, we find Jesus' last words to his disciples. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Jesus' last command to his disciples was to go and to teach all nations. Jesus did not tell them to work during the week, provide for the families, live a comfortable life, then come to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. Are all those things bad to do? Not at all. We should all be involved with doing those. But his final command to his disciples was to go and to bring others to him. This means that there will have to be a deliberate effort made by each one of us in order to reach the people of Sioux Falls. We as members of Eastside Baptist Church should not expect guests to come through the doors of our building, sit down, and get saved without us going and actively seeking them first. Outreach is a vital is vital to the continued growth of a church. And if this was Jesus' last command to us, I would say that it should be very important to us as a church. One way to accomplish this commandment is to come out on outreach tomorrow at 6.30. There'll be maps and tracks available for everyone. And even if you don't talk to anyone about the gospel, just the effort of going out and putting our name or our tracks out on doors greatly impacts that individual's chance of coming and hearing the gospel. And I know, I understand that most pe- some people can't make it out on Thursday night. I understand it's a weeknight and that you have work the next day. But even if you can't make organized outreach, I challenge you to set aside time in your week to reach those in your community that you come into contact with. We've all been commanded to go no matter where we're at. So if we're not involved with reaching others for Christ, we're breaking God's final commandment to us. Lastly, we should think like Paul and recognize that all that we have and all that we are isn't worth focusing on. We can invest in other people by showing God's love through the time and effort we put into caring for others. Or we should show God's long-suffering nature by acting with grace and humility when someone tells us to do something that we wouldn't rather do. In fact, any time that we respond to the world as Christ would, we are pointing others to him. So to recap, the first step would be to have a genuine walk with God. Second would be to be involved in the ministry that Jesus himself was involved with, primarily outreach. And then lastly, focus on serving others instead of yourself. In conclusion, I just want to encourage everyone to remember that anyone can live a life that points to Christ. Because just like a magnifying glass, it doesn't matter what you look like. You may be young, you may be old, you may be shy or outgoing, you may have lots of stuff or you may not. Your appearance doesn't matter and what you have doesn't matter. We've all been commanded by God to do our job and to magnify him. Good evening, you all. I just want to take this first little bit to thank Pastor again, even though he's not here, for giving me this opportunity to preach and then uh, how optimistic he thought I would do. And uh, secondly, I'd like to thank you all for giving me this opportunity because even now I'm still surprised that most of you are still here after the good preaching is over. So anyways, we'll just go ahead and uh, get right into it. That aside, I pray the Lord will use what he's laid on my heart tonight to really be a help to you all and just really what for this last little while has been in my heart and mind. So 
If you would all stand, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. I'll give you all just a moment to get there. Matthew chapter 6. And when you find your place there, we'll begin reading in verse number 24. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. All right. The Bible says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And now I'm actually going to skip verses uh, 25 through 30 and go to verse 31, where he then says, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. I thank you. You all may be seated. So, I've been privileged recently since I've been here to uh, teach the youth Sunday school classes. Brother Heath has so graciously allowed me to. It's been an awesome opportunity. I love the youth here. They're very engaged and are willing to participate in my weird antics. So, it's been a blessing for, for sure. And, but as, we've, as I've been here, I've been able to talk about how each of us should, as Christians, have a desire to be a genuine follower of Jesus, to emulate who Jesus Christ was. And I would say, as a Christian who's been saved by the grace of God, each of us, no matter if we were old or young, would agree that that should be our primary objective, you know, no matter what stage in life that we're in. So the funny thing is, most everyone in here truly means that, and so did a lot of people back then that Jesus interacted with. They truly meant that they wanted to follow Jesus, but when it came down to it, it turned out to be a lot harder than what they originally thought it would be. So back to the passage, I'm sure that's one that we're all familiar with, being part of Christ's Sermon on the Mount, as it comes to be known as. It takes from Matthews chapter 5 through 7. And we've heard these very verses probably hundreds of times, especially verses 24 and 33, which also happen to be the central focus of the message tonight. I think often they use this passage as an encouragement and a charge for those who are anxious about certain situations in their life that are beyond their control, which is completely true. Um, God has everything under his control, and the storms that come our way are subject to his power. There is nothing that is too big that he cannot solve. But, you know, what about the things that stress us out every day? See, when Jesus talks about serving mammon, sure, we all know that mammon here um, is in reference to wealth, at least in this sense. And so at a glance, then what Jesus would be saying here is you cannot pursue God while pursuing the riches of this world, which again is also true. It's completely true. But the one thing that I noticed when it, when it came to me personally is uh, where I come short in this command right here in verse 33 is not actually in relation to, to money or things. And so bear with me as I try not to proof text too much here. But um, as our Western and American culture has developed, I would say that we have become what would be labeled primarily as task-oriented people. Or rather, the jobs or tasks that we have on our to-do list takes the utmost precedence, oftentimes at the cost of personal development. And so that's not to say we don't put a value on personal development. However, it's just that it often seems to take the back seat because it isn't advertised to be as urgent of a situation as the other things that we tend to get involved in on a day-to-day basis. And the, the deciding factor for what we consider important in our culture is in relation to our time. See, our culture's obsession with money and with wealth and fame and fortune stems from its capitalization on people's time. 
We've adjusted ourselves to live in a constant state of urgency with the tasks that we heap to ourselves in order to feel accomplished, and we tend to put aside those things that are less pressing to be done some other time. And often, the excuse for why we failed to get something done or see something through isn't a matter of, well, if I just had more money, or if I had more manpower, or more resources, I think 99% of us, if we boiled it down, would say, things didn't get done because I didn't have enough time. And so... After all, you know, the saying goes in our culture that time is, fill in the blank, money. Or you could even say that time is mammon. Time is the things that you want, but that you don't yet have. And we often find ourselves enslaved, not to our wealth, but to our time. And as a result, our daily stresses, even as a Christian, seem to stem from what it is that we can or can't fit into our 15 to 16 hours that we're awake. And that draws us away from paying that necessary attention that we should give to our spiritual development, our inner man. And so have you ever taken a moment and stopped to recall how many times in the Bible we find Jesus stressed out or spiritually drained? Can you remember anywhere at any time when Jesus was hard-pressed to get from one place to another because his schedule was so packed? Um, What about the time that he told that sick person, not now, or the disabled person, maybe some other time, or the children, don't bother me right now. I mean, sure, I think we'd all agree that Jesus got physically tired. After all, even though he was God, he was still a man. He got physically tired from long days, from long journeys. He got hungry. Um, He enjoyed time to himself to spend with his father. However, I do think we would be hard-pressed and find it nearly impossible to identify anywhere in Scripture that Jesus excused himself from what he was doing because he was too busy. He stopped for everyone that reached out to him, sometimes even stopping for people that hadn't even acknowledged their need of him yet. And at a glance, it would seem that even though Jesus was busy and constantly doing something, that yet he still had all the time in the world. Jesus found as much time as he needed to accomplish whatever it was that he was doing and seemed to have some despair in spite of multitudes of thousands of people following him around on a daily basis, bringing him their sick and their lame so that way he could heal them. And we already know that, again, Jesus had other needs too. So why do we today as followers of Jesus find it so difficult? You know, surely we can't be as carefree as the whole passage would seem to be telling us. We do certainly have a daily needs that need need to be provided for, such as food and, and clothing and water and and things of that nature. They're they're daily necessities that keep us alive. But I think you and I would also agree that it would be unwise to sit back and say, okay, God, you know, you told me not to worry about stuff, so I'm not going to worry about stuff. So you feel free to leave my new clothes folded on the couch and all the food that I'm going to eat tomorrow on the table. It would be very unwise to, to say that. So what's the difference between us and Jesus then? So Jesus lived out the perfect sinless life. I think we all know this. He faced every temptation that man faces and overcame them all. And the spiritual aspects of Jesus' life are a very necessary part for us to look at so that way we can emulate him and become more Christ-like. And it provides, he provides us with a blueprint to how to model our inner man. However, I think sometimes the practicality of Jesus' life can be overlooked in certain areas. And the fact that the way he structured himself in his daily life is what ultimately allowed him to develop that, that spirituality, or to exemplify that spirituality, rather. See, Jesus was never stressed by the events surrounding him or the demands that were constantly being made because Jesus was the master of his own time. Time did not rule Jesus. So how did he do it? Well, by the blueprint provided in verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 
See, what Jesus saw on a daily basis was not that which would ensure that he was well-sustained throughout his days on earth so that he could fulfill his ministry. It was not focused on deadlines to please as many people as he could so that way he would gather more of a following of people, even if it were meant to increase the amount of people that heard the word. No, he sought the kingdom of God every day. He sought the will of the Father. He closely guarded that time of prayer that he had, that time that he spent studying the scriptures, which is evident by how often he quoted it. He did not allow the demands that I'm sure people would have loved to put on him and allowed them to interfere with that which should come first, which was his relationship with the Father. See, the thing is, with as much as we know all of this to be true already, I don't think I'm saying anything that you all wouldn't have known before, but we'd agree that maintaining a personal walk with God is important. And I think the common reason why most of us slip up is not because we believe such things aren't necessary, but because we are not being the masters of our time. Our time, rather, is the master of us. And like verse 24 says, if we allow our time or what generates our mammon, our personal mammon, to be the master of us, then as a result, God cannot. So I'd like to give you a bit of a personal example for how easy it is to cease being the master of your time, to cease having control over your inner man or your private world, even in a situation that's almost completely directed to help it. So like I, like I mentioned at the beginning, this message has kind of been on my heart for a while. It's something that's, that's been, as you could say, kind of stewing inside of me because, you know, since, really since Bible college was over. See, going to Bible college is it's really exciting. I mean, it's truly awesome to be in a place where you know God has you and you know exactly what it is that he wants you to do. And I think in a general sense that the whole preparing for ministry idea is exciting. Um, my freshman year, I was all about serving God, and I, I expressed that genuine desire to follow Jesus, and I was going to try my absolute very best, and yet as the year went on, my responsibilities and workload gradually began to increase, as most student lives do. And I couldn't have stated it better than Brother Chad did on Sunday, that at the end of every semester, I felt drained. I was exhausted. And of course, that was normal and to be expected. Again, being a college student, it's, it's physically taxing. I mean, you're studying all the time, then you're working a part-time job. But that's to be expected. But there was something a little bit more than that that uh, eventually started creeping up in my life. The daily stresses taxed from my walk with the Lord. And every day was really beginning to even be a struggle and being joyful and having the joy of the Christian walk and you know, being nice to people even sometimes. <laughs> But the basic things that I knew to do as a Christian were falling by the wayside because I felt as though I just didn't have enough time to get everything done. I mean, my Bible reading was falling through because of what felt like a billion weekly reading assignments that I had to do. Curtis knows this. Lydia knows this. I mean, everyone that's been to Bible college knows that there's so much stuff that you have to do. I didn't tithe because I had no idea where money would come from for my next installment payment. My first year, I started with zero dollars and I ended with zero dollars. Money was tight. <laughs> and I'll be honest that there were times during the year that I thought that I really just needed to quit school and take a break for a semester. It was really, really tempting to do that. When I talked to one of the staff members about some of the things that were going on in my life, he immediately reminded me that my primary purpose as a Christian wasn't just to do well in Bible college, that was college, excuse me, that was to be a follower of Jesus. And that's to be like Christ, to conform to his image. That's our primary objective. And to spare you the details to save the already limited time that I have, the man that I spoke with encouraged me to dedicate some time to study the Gospels and to study the life of Christ, to reorient myself with not just how I, should, how I want to see things, but rather how Christ saw things. 
In doing so, I very quickly came across this passage that we've read tonight, and it really impacted me kind of in a, in a way different than the sense would carry with it that most people would get from it. And it helped me to reformulate my thoughts so that I could take another step closer to having that mind of Christ. See, I had allowed in Bible college my time to become my master rather than I being the master of my own time. I'd allowed my responsibilities and tasks and other obligations that I'd signed myself up for to dictate how I spent my time rather than I myself stewarding the time that God had given to me. See, what I had to do then was isolate what was keeping me from doing the most important things, which was reading my Bible, tithing, going on outreach, praying for people. You know, it, seemed, it was hard because when I looked at the list of everything that I was doing, it all seemed important. I think if we all took a list of everything that we do on a daily basis, we couldn't just point at, it would be very hard pressed for us to look at something and say, well, yeah, that's not really important. I think a lot of the things that we do in a daily, on a daily basis would be considered important. It's not just easy to, you know, write them off. So I was doing my studies, I was working a job, I was catching up on sleep when I could, not to mention all the little things that I had to do every week, like laundry and organizing my desk and doing dorm duties so that I didn't get written up and have to pay money that I didn't have. So everything that I just listed, I had to do. There was no avoiding them. So you can't, I can't just look at them and say, well, I can neglect those for these other things. I think there's a balance there. But upon closer inspection, the man that was guiding me helped me to see all of the small exchanges that I had made with my time that lacked purposefulness. See, I made time for everything. I had a schedule printed out. They said I was going to follow this every day. But I did not protect that time that was important, as if it were important. As I said before, our culture has adjusted our minds in such a way that it wants to capitalize on free time, and you're expected to say yes if you want to feel accomplished or liked. Things that come your way are kind of given a first-come, first-served basis. So I'd give, so, excuse me, I'm going to turn my notes here. I'd give 15 minutes to visit with these individuals. Or I'd get, take 20 minutes to go and give someone a ride here because they missed the shuttle ride. Or maybe even take 30 minutes to help someone with a project. Or even go give someone counsel who'd come out of their way to ask me for it. Um, again, all of these things aren't bad at all. And the issue wasn't that I was trying to help and minister to people even. It was that I was giving them the time freely that I hadn't even bothered to protect for God. Which, by the way, after adding it up, added to be more than enough time to spend daily with the Lord. So not to be mean, but I was even allowing the people who needed my help in the moment to help rule my time better than I myself was ruling it. And I think if we're being honest here, many of us would say the same thing. See, it's really hard at the beginning of the day to find time to read our Bibles or to spend even 10 minutes in prayer because the minute we wake up, we're already confronted with all the things that we know we're supposed to be doing that day. And we know that we're supposed to tithe and give to missions, but such and such bill or expense came up suddenly, or there's this thing that I now have to pay for, or my kids did this and they broke this and now I have to replace it. And it could, the, the list of possibilities could go on, but there's these things, unexpected things that come up that say, okay, this is an urgent situation, so this obligation that I already had and that I was going to dedicate my time and energy to, now, I'm gonna, now I have to take that back because this is just more urgent right now. Giving to the tithe or giving to missions, that can come later. I'll hold a good thought for it. And that's a temptation that we can have. Uh, here's a big one for me that happened at school was outreach. One of the first things that I struggled with was being faithful to go out and fulfill the Great Commission like Curtis mentioned because that was like an hour and a half that I could spend doing homework and being a successful student, which means that I'd be successful in ministry and blah, 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 blah. All those things that I could convince myself would be true. 
And so we'd say, we'd all say, I think witnessing is important, but out of everything, I think it's the most prone to be deceptively easy to look at and say, well, I don't have time for that right now. I'll, we, in, our, in our minds, we can think that's a good thing to go and do, but whenever we're presented with that opportunity, it's like, ah, oh, well, man, my schedule, it just doesn't work. And so, and our mammon culture has robbed us of the mind of Christ that we were meant to have. And that's by taking the time that we are so conscious of and ruling it for us so that we do not see past all of the reminders and deadlines that are constantly being dangled in front of us. So what are we supposed to do? There are bills. There are taxes. There are situations that come up and emergencies and people that need help. We have jobs and requirements and kids that don't simply demand our attention, but they really need that. Um, And it's true that those things absolutely cannot be neglected, but that's not the extreme that Jesus asked us to reach. See, in verse number 33, he did not ask us to seek ye only the kingdom of God, but rather that you give him the first claim on your list of priorities. So, what we're called to do here isn't to go on the offensive and start chopping stuff, unless you can see things that you can probably afford to cut back on, in which case, go for it. But uh, rather, we are called to protect the time that we have so that, as Brother Doug put it a couple weeks ago, we can redeem that time. Time isn't something that's meant to be ruled. It's something that's meant to be used, to be redeemed. You need to recognize that in spite of what the culture says about how you should respond to its demands on your time, it's okay to protect that time that you know should be given to God. If you treat it like the obligation that it should be, and people come to make more requests on your available time, most people, I think, will, you'll find will understand when they've found out that they're encroaching on that time that you've dedicated to God. The same could be said of outreach. I'd encourage as many people as possible to come out on Thursday nights just to take an hour to contribute to, again, putting our church name out there, giving the gospel to people, trying to make those connections. And if that doesn't work, I mean, I know a lot of people work on Thursdays. If that doesn't work, Saturday mornings, Curtis and I are more than willing to get you all a map to go out and do that. If that doesn't work even, um, just come find us. We'll get you a map. We'll get you a route. Or just take some tracks and people that you come across with on a daily basis. Do your part to fulfill that commission because there's little slots of time throughout your day where you interact with these people that we aren't really all that conscious of, of keeping, uh, keeping control of. But those opportunities are there, I think, if we look for them. So, when we wish to become genuine, to fo- genuine followers of Jesus, part of our responsibility is to walk in his steps. We are to model ourselves after him and conform to his image. One of the biggest things that allowed Jesus to accomplish all the great and mighty things he did while on this earth and touch the lives of so many people was that he was the purposeful master of his own time. He was able to fulfill the ministry that he was given and run the race set before him because his perspective was first on the kingdom of God and then everything else that fell behind, all of the necessities and all of the demands took its place behind that. See, I'm not promising prosperity exactly as the world would define it by telling you all this. I'm not saying that it's an easy process in the least. In fact, it's quite the opposite. I'm not even telling you that I have this process mastered because that was me last year and I'm still smack dab in the middle of that process. So what I'm saying here is that if we want to be effective followers of Jesus and live in such a way that that point people to him, we will become masters of our time and embrace the mind of Christ and break free from the master of the mammon culture. I want to thank you all for your attention tonight. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.